This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Beyond Zero Emissions Community Show, and salut, Babette. Beyond Zero Emissions is a research and education organisation. We've put out plans for each sector of the economy about how to reduce emissions to zero and go beyond. I often feel pleased to hear people quoting Beyond Zero Emissions research and our two radio shows try to reach out to the public with solid information. This community show is also our way of reporting on the climate action that's actually happening in our community. And tonight's show, we'll talk to students and teachers. Many of us have been humbled by the brave children confronting the terrifying prospect of the extinction of animals and parts of nature as well as the future that they wish for. When the New South Wales Minister of Education waved, warned students the last time they, they were on strike, he said they'd be punished for skipping classes, Greta Thunberg heard about it over in Sweden and she tweeted this, OK, we hear you and we don't care. Your statement belongs in a museum. So I'm going to have a few little bits from Greta Thunberg, little tiny grabs of her just to remind you what a marvellous person she is influencing us, but she's spawning all these new great voices that we'll have on tonight, Australian kids who are also finding their feet and their voice. Our first guests will be Sydney students Daisy Jeffrey, Jean Hinchcliffe and Cooper Forsyth. And then we'll be phoning Geelong to talk to an AYCC leader called Kai Bowie. To get the teacher's perspective, I'll talk to Inez Harker-Schoch about a new game that she wants to test on any teacher's listening. You can ring in or contact her about that. And then we'll talk to a secondary teacher called um, Tarun Wan, who's in Canberra, and he's going to be leading some workshops for teachers to get more climate action into the syllabus. But let's start with this emotional comment that was at Melbourne City Council uh, just about 10 days ago where they declared the climate emergency. Sorry, yeah, I'm trying to like, remove the um, emotion from it, but um, I, I recently um, had to speak in response to the Fridays for Future um, Collective internationally, and it's a similar group to our climate strikes here in, um, that we've seen here in Australia. We've had thousands of young people take to our streets demanding action. And that should not be dismissed as, oh, my God, kids taking off time off school. <laughs> it's actually really quite... Um, you know, something that we need to take seriously. If young people are willing to step away from their education to tell leaders to actually do something, we shouldn't dismiss them as bludges or wasting of time or dismissing of their education. It is actually something we should be taking seriously. Sorry, this is where I get emotional. Which is why, importantly, um, one point, um, whatever it is up there, nine, we should be encouraging these young people to come and talk to us about their issues, not dismissing them and not you know, putting them out as some, you know, rebels, but we should actually be listening to them because we're obviously not acting as they are asking us to. So let's hear from them. Are we actually doing as much as we should? And so that's about inviting the youth 
um, the future leaders to come and talk to council at a future council briefing about their concerns and so that we can actually respond, but more importantly, to show that we're listening to them as well. And the reason I get emotional when I think about that is when I think about my daughter and I want to know what am I actually doing <laughs> for Charlie and if we don't declare an emergency, I don't think I can hand on my heart say that we're doing enough. So. I thank Councillor Oak for her passion and her drive to keep pushing on this. Um, I feel somewhat uh, ashamed that I was reticent about the word emergency because I've spent my entire career in this space. And I think my reticence only comes with the fact that Andrew Bolt wrote me up two weeks ago. Um, and you always then tread so carefully when it comes to these kind of things because you're worried about the sort of um, commentary that you'll receive personally. Um, but some things are bigger um, than you know, what can happen to you personally. So I'm very proud to support this this evening. Are there any other speakers to this motion? Councillor Watts? I think my colleagues have again been so eloquent. There's already... Uh, little I could add, but I do need to say that the uh, exchange that we've just heard about with um, um, Andrew Bolt um, uh, induces a sort of self-censorship and that has to be resisted and I'm pleased to say that, that um, my colleagues are resisting. Now, language is a very important element in what we're discussing here and I think in this instance that the, the language, the term that we've used, emergency, is absolutely spot on and accurate. So I'm very pleased to see this here in these days of fake news and exaggeration. It's simply not the case that we are exaggerating here. We are in a very dire situation. And as we are a level of, of government which is closest to the people, I think we have an obligation to actually tell it the way it is, and we are. The second point that I would like to make is that this motion actually shows respect for the young people who will actually have to deal with a mess that we are fighting. Councillor Oak has the children, the young children, and I have the grandchildren, and I feel very strongly that we have to do something in a very public and a very insightful and a very strong way. And this is a very excellent motion and I commend my colleagues for bringing it forward. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm putting the motion... Any other speakers? No, good. I'm putting the motion to the vote. All those in favour of this motion, please raise your hands. It's unanimous. I declare that motion carried. Well done. Um, I'm in William Street, just near King's Cross, and we're uh, at an Extinction Rebellion rally, which included the student strikers, and I've got Jean and Daisy here, who listeners may already know, but I'd like to ask you, how's it going? And you're working up to a post-election galvanising of people. How's it going? Yeah, so right now we're in the sort of early on stages of organising our... Um, will be September 20 so there's a lot that still needs to be planned of course but something that has been really great is after this election which a lot of people have felt really disappointed by and it, it came to a shock to a lot of for a lot of people and 
what's happened because of that is all these people feel really energized and they feel really motivated to go out in the streets and make a difference and really fight for what they believe in because they see that we've elected this government that doesn't really seem to care that much about the climate and don't really believe in the climate crisis. And that's translated to all these people coming together and we're looking at having a really great um, turnout on the day, which is really exciting. Well, how come it doesn't translate into despair? Um, I think because... Uh, I think there certainly was, um, a certain, you know, a, a level of despair. I mean, most of us, you know, on the night who were watching the election, we just ended up crying. And um, But I think just more angry than ever. But also, you know, the realisation, I think, in the election, you know, the vote... Uh, for the Liberals largely um, did come from those mining communities in Queensland and uh, I think it was a real reminder to us that you know as well as fighting for you know a transition to renewable energy we need to be fighting just as much for the rights of those workers to safe unionized jobs and uh, you know fighting for a just transition and so it's really important that we make sure that you know that just transition really does take place and that those families and communities are kept together and I think a lot of uh, students in particular are really, really ang- angry uh, by the turnout of the election, school students, because we can't vote. And so we're, you know, and this is the only way we can really protest by using our voices. So we're coming out onto the streets and we will be on September 20th in uh, hopefully tens of thousands, uh, you know, to in the continuation of this climate movement to put the pressure on our government and to say, you really need to take action now. Well, the transition for workers came up very clearly as a a problem that nobody thought it through clearly enough, it seemed to me. The Labour Party had a policy, the Greens had a policy for transition of workers, but you are having, on the 20th September, you're inviting everyone to go on strike. So I think you probably want union muscle in there. Is that that how you want it? Yeah, absolutely. we think unions have a lot of power and we, we believe that everyone's going to be impacted by this climate crisis and the fact of the matter is that this transition to renewable energy is going to happen. Um, it's just sort of the speed at which it's going to happen and we need it to happen quickly to prevent this crisis but what we want is this transition to feel really secure and to make sure no one's left behind and because of that we want these unions to be involved and know that we really care about their rights and how they're going to be how they're going to be in this transition really yeah and I I think also commenting a little bit on what we're saying earlier about hope I feel like these strikes have been a way that whilst we can't vote it's been our way to have a voice and so many people students and adults alike are realizing that this is our way to have a say and this is our way to not just sit around whilst our politicians aren't doing enough i think both um, greta Thunberg and then suddenly thousands and millions of students getting behind her from one little person suddenly yeah. it was a worldwide movement and then the extinction rebellion it seems to have been tapping into a new type of imagination to me it's like a creative thing it's more left of field you don't know quite what's going to happen next is it is that do you feel that that's what you're trying to govern us in not the old style protest you know us and them there's a kind of thing that everyone's needed here is that the feeling that you're you're trying to get I think things have certainly changed with the rise of social media um and I think you know the idea that one girl uh, one teenage girl um, can, you know, go on strike and she can start something way over in Sweden and that, you know, it can reach us in Australia and the, in the US and, you know, over in Asia. It's just, you know, it's the most incredible thing is that, you know, this is spread so organically. Um, and I think it is a new type of protest and, you know, from 
uh, our perspective. We haven't seen youth rise like this and um, take their future into their own hands for quite a long time. So it's a really, really exciting time and a really uh, extraordinary movement to be able to be a part of. Um, and it'll be interesting to see where it goes. But, you know, in our eyes, we just really, really hope it gets... Um, you know, not only bigger, but the action that we need, um, and that's you know that's what we're fighting for: is systematic change, le- you know, immediate legislative action in government. And with this government, it's particularly difficult because uh, they're not exactly uh, the greatest friends of ours. Um, and uh, and of course, we don't see eye to eye. And that's why on September 20th, we need everyone to come out into the streets because our only power now is in numbers um, and how loud we can be. Well, certainly you're getting new people. It's news, a new demographic coming in here, so let's hope that works. Just to finish, I'd like you to give a, um, a little a comment. This will reach thousands of people in Melbourne. Speak to the teachers. I'm a teacher, retired, and now I'm doing this radio, but I would like you to speak to the teachers. What do you want to ask them to do for you on that, you know, to come out on strike? What, and also, what do you want them teach, to teach you, and how do you want them to lead? Yeah, I absolutely think that teachers should be coming on strike with us. I mean, the fact of the matter is that we're being educated in systems that if we're going to be growing up into a dead planet, it's not going to be as useful as we think. And I I think teachers, they're educating us. And the fact of the matter is that our curriculum isn't scientifically accurate often in that they're not teaching us about the climate crisis. It's something that's just overlooked. And... I think that that's not just on teachers themselves. I mean, a lot of teachers want to share that and to educate their students, but it's something that politicians um, aren't allowing to happen. So I think that's something that we need to change all throughout the education system. Uh, We really want to see students and their teachers out on the streets on September 20th. Uh, You know, it's... You know, teachers care an extraordinary amount about their students. I mean, that is the profession they chose. Um, and, you know, uh, I know a great amount of teachers. I mean, I'm in high school and I have not met a single teacher that doesn't care an absurd amount about the kids they're teaching. And we really want to see them out on the street because we know they care about our future and we know a lot of them have the kids of their own and, you know, they care about their future and we want to see them out on the streets fighting for uh, our future as much as we're fighting for our own. Thank you. So I've been talking to two climate strikers. And just to remind you, the French heat waves closed the schools in France and they had to postpone their baccalaureate because of the heat wave. So before climate change stops us all, let's come out on September the 20th. How do they find out about it? Uh, well, we're on social media. We'll be putting out um, posters and... Also, find us on um, schoolstrikeforclimate.com. That's schoolstrike, then four is in the number, then climate.com. Mm. Hi, I'm Kim Salmon. I'd like to have a quick word about uh, public radio, particularly 3CR. The thing about public radio is that it's more open than the more formatted types of radio to what's going on around it. So when you listen to it, you're more likely to hear a reflection of real life. And 3CR being in the heart of Smith Street, Collingwood, is a particularly good example of what I'm talking about. If you'd like to uh, subscribe, the number is 94198377. You've been listening
welcome back to the Beyond Zero Emissions Community Show. You're listening to Radio 3CR, and now we'll talk to someone from the Australian Youth Climate Coalition in Geelong. His name is Kai Bowie. Hello, Kai. Hello. Tell how us how I'm fine, thank you. Tell us how AYCC has helped you face the new reality of extinctions and climate unpredictability. You must have started in there quite young, and I think you've been in there now for a while. What? How's it shaped you? Well, when I went in there, I sort of went in there with a blank canvas. I googled things on the internet, but you know, I'd seen conflicting information and I didn't know what to believe. So I went there sort of hoping that they would, you know, show me the facts and show me what, you know, what we can do. And they certainly did that. Um, I've learnt a hundred times more about the climate, the environment and even the politics behind climate change than I have in school from the AYCC, from the science of it to, um, like I said, the politics, the economy. It's just brilliant. We have monthly meetings and each meeting, and I've been doing it for months now, I learn something new. That's fantastic that you say that because I'm going to interview teachers later on and I think teachers will not like to know that um, in fact, what they're offering is fairly fragmented and, and isn't really sustaining the students who really want to take climate action, who are very uh, frightened by what is it going to happen as you get older and we all die out, as it were. So um, what do you think about the sort of things they do teach at school, like behavioural change, like recycling your rubbish and cycling to school and eating less meat or downsizing your computer use. I mean, they're the kinds of things I remember people, school teachers always were talking about these campaigns they do at school. They're all very worthy. But do you think they miss that other political dimension that you've learned elsewhere? I think uh, they certainly do. I think schools find it a bit hard to discuss politics. You know, they have to be, you know, they can't endorse any other party and it's not really part of the curriculum so why do it and even with those other programs that you said I feel like in my personal experience at least they do do them but they do it because they have to it's not an integral integral part of the school and I just hope that one day every aspect of climate change whether it be the things that you can do and the politics about it will all be an integral part of the school system, just as much as maths and English is. Yeah. If you were a teacher, what would be the most urgent thing for you to bring into your teaching? Um, I would revolve my lessons around climate change and just everything about it. Like I said, I th really think that the politics and the reality of it is really important. But also the day-to-day -day things, the things you can do, how you can save, is also, you know, just as important. I would just try to give them, you know, balanced knowledge and try and cover as much as I can and just make it easy and understandable. It's certainly interesting because I've been doing this radio program for about eight or nine years and I'm never short of some someone to interview or something to happen. It's certainly a fast-moving subject and it encompasses so many things. It's not just the weather and the climate. It's actually all those other planetary boundaries that we're sort of 
pushing out right now. And I, I, I just interviewed some students um, in Sydney and <clears throat> I feel that this is a generation, they're only 14 or 15, and they said we can't wait um, to vote, you know, until we're old enough to vote. And when they witnessed the climate election before that they had these big rallies and I'm sure you had them down here in Victoria as well huge rallies expecting it to be a climate elect election and for some progress to be made but then they felt really gutted afterwards that it didn't turn out that way and I'd like to know what impact do you think a strike will have on September the 20th um, do you think business and government will pay attention if there is a very impressive large number of people on strike I believe that the only way that we can get change, especially as the youth, considering we can't vote, is just to show that we are all united on this issue and that we want change. And I think that symbol of unity is very powerful. There are very few circumstances where, you know, the most of the population has been able to say, we want this happening, we want it now. And for thousands and thousands of kids to leave school and go on strike, it, it's pretty scary to go on strike, especially if it's your first time. You know, it's loud, you've never done anything like this before. But they're doing it because, well, it's an act of desperation, I suppose. And I know if I was in, if I was in Parliament, I would be thinking, wow, one, this is, you know, the kids obviously believe that this is important and it probably is. And two, in a few years, all these people are going to be voting. So even in a political sense, I think they should be taking, you know, taking attention. Good, good point. You know, that thing that Greta Thunberg always says, we're coming whether you like it or not. And, we're, you know, the next generation is coming up and they will be voting and they won't be very uh, forgiving to people who've just kept this delay game going. So um, are, are you still there, Kai? Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. Okay. Well, oh, look, I've been impressed how clear and well-informed the students are, the ones I speak to. And as we just heard Jean Hinchcliffe saying earlier, they know their teachers care deeply for them. But I want to know how can teachers and what we learn at school help students sort of face the future, you know, the emotional side of that and the political side of that? How can you face the sort of despair you feel when the climate election just falls on its face? And I think it needs to be, school needs to be a place where you can discuss this. And I'd like to know um, <clears throat> what you think that teachers can do. Also, the media is pretty cruel. I mean, the media is right now scorning climate action and the economists are not really telling us any clear way forward. So what do you what do you think teachers could really do to and schools could do to underpin this movement that won't be stopping now? These students will go ahead now uh, and the AYCC will, will forge ahead. But what can the adults do to help you? I believe uh, they can do two main things. One, they can give us the facts, but... In a classroom environment, I think even more importantly is encouraging discussion within that class. Uh, we have done it a few times at my school and it was really good because people who weren't interested at all are suddenly getting in the conversation, asking questions, and they're learning from the teachers and the students who know a bit. And I think that's just great. And 
if we don't encourage, if the teachers don't encourage these conversations and whatnot, the interested people are still going to be interested and learn more. But what we really should be targeting is the students who are sort of like, you know, I don't know, what is this? And class discussions, I think, are the best way to get them interested. Because I know I, for, I know I myself, I'm, go, I'm going to be, you know, researching climate change probably for the rest of my life and trying to do action. And that's because I had listened to a discussion and I got interested. So if we can get every student to get interested in climate change and want to learn more, then I think that's really powerful and an instigator for change. Well said. And what sort of action do you want to be uh, doing and see other people doing with you? I mean, striking is one thing, but what, what other action are you prepared to take? Well, we've done a few fundraisers um, to donate money to different causes. Recently, we had uh, an art exhibition, uh, clim- Art for Climate, and just uh, climate-related paintings, and that was really cool. Um, we go around to the politicians, and we have community awareness events, and it's just getting the word out and making it accessible. Because when, you know, you get interested in climate change, but it's it's a pretty daunting prospect to try and, you know, stop, oh. you know, stop climate change. Yes. But if we can make it accessible and say, yes, you can help, all you have to do is this and show them how to do it, then I think that's that's really good. Well, I can tell you from the years I've been doing this with Beyond Zero Emissions, we were very interested in Port Augusta a few years back and there was this big effort from the AYCC people. They did a walk from Port Augusta to Adelaide. They did lots of other action and lots of other media and they just kept pumping a lot of energy into the idea of closing down the fires coal-fired power stations and bringing on a solar plant. And the solar plant hasn't come into existence yet, but I've seen where the coal-fired power station has been exploded. It no longer exists. It's there. Port Augusta, just an empty space. And um, th- eventually there will be uh, lots lots of um, renewable energy projects in that area. And AYCC was a very big part of it. And I don't, I think those young people would now be in their 20s or even 30s. And I've met other AYCC people, one's in parliament, another one's the head of a top organisation. I think this training, this education you're getting, you can't sniff at it. It's really, you know, fabulous, um, even though it starts small, starts just with what you're doing. Yes, well, it's, it's training in the real world. We are going to the politicians and the city councils, and we are and we are lobbying. And I think it doesn't get any more real than that. <laughs> you know, it doesn't. Okay, one one last thing. Uh, just speak to our audience, um, um, Kai. Please uh, tell tell the audience your message, whether to join AYCC or about the September twentieth strike. Just what what message is important for you to get out? Well, uh, I'll tell them this. When I, well, before AUICC, I was interested in climate change, but it felt impossible. I was like, well, what am I going to do? I, I may as well just do nothing. But I joined AUICC, and the great thing about it is it's a youth-led organisation. When I go to other organisations, I'm sort of like, you know, second-class citizen. I'm a kid. <laughs> I'm not taken seriously. Yeah. But at AUICC... We're all equal members and we're all drivers for change. 
on my first day there, I was given responsibilities and I put my hand up for everything and I've already done so many amazing things and that's just from AYCC. If you want change and you want to learn how to <laughs> instigate change and you want to get educated, just join AYCC. Fantastic. Thank really you. Good. Thank you. You've given such a good advertisement for it. I hope people will look you up on the internet and join up. So that was Kai Bowie from Geelong representing AYCC. Thank you very much, Andy. I think we'll go straight to the next interview with Inez. Oh, no, hang on. We've got another. I'll explain this to the listeners. We've got a a tiny little um, um, interview with Cooper Forsyth in Sydney and his sister Amy, who must be about seven, and then a tiny little bit from Greta Thunberg, just 30 seconds. If the defenders of this planet also insist on being the defenders of its workers, only then can we truly begin to challenge those who seek to destroy both. A movement is needed to not just put the interests of working people above those of fossil fuel, but to use their industrial power to take on these powerful interests. This is not simply a moral question. When we leave the working class behind, we cannot even win an election, let alone a world free from climate change. We need to strike for climate action. We need to follow the school kids' lead and build this strike into universities, my university, Sydney Uni, into UNSW, UTS, Macquarie, Melbourne, Queensland Unis, and Adelaide, Perth, Tassie. But we also need it to spread to ports, construction sites, Woolies, Coles, hospitals, local cafes, into every university and workplace everywhere. We have to shut this system down, and when we restart it, it will be on our terms. There is a greater opportunity than ever to make this happen. The next climate strike on September 20, for the next climate strike calls on September 20, students are calling on workers to join them. These school students, like those we've heard, whose fight and courage has proved to be the detonator of the rejuvenated climate movement, are now learning these lessons from the election. On May Day, the International Day of the Worker, school striker India Pardol spoke in front of a crowd of blue-collar workers on strike to riotous cheers. A few weeks ago, members from School Strike for Climate met with unions to discuss the way forward together and have released a guide to worker participation for September 20 and have organised a meeting centre around building support for the strike in workplaces, which is on this Wednesday at the Maritime Union's office in the city. If you haven't got a leaflet, please grab one. Get your mates there and your family. And join your union if you haven't already. Already we have seen various commitments from the NTU, MUA and Teachers Union to work towards a stoppage of work on the day. When tens of thousands of students skipped school over climate change, this government was forced into a strange and hysterical moral outrage, trying their best to be as patronising as possible. And the school kids told told them to get stuffed. When those with the power of a nation resort to jibing at school kids, you know that they're panicking. Just imagine what would happen if we could hit them where it really hurts and hold our economy economy to ransom over the future of our planet. Before we finish up, my little sister wrote a little speech this morning which uh, she wants to give, so I'll hand over the microphone to her.
Climate change is very bad. If we don't slow it down, then more animals will become extinct. And as the world gets hotter, we will be hotter. And Australia is a very hot country already. So please stop making coal mines and chopping down trees because kids don't want to grow up in a hot world. So please use solar powers and wind power to help and save water. Government, please help. Please, please help. So, so many people are wanting it this way. We need to save our planet, go green, take away climate, help the farmers, stop climate change. I will start with the good news. The world, as a small number of people have been saying lately, will not end in 11 years. The bad news, however, is that around the year 2030, if we continue with business as usual, we will likely be in a position where we may pass a number of tipping points and then we might no longer be able to undo the irreversible climate breakdown. Okay, so that was Greta Thunberg at the French Assembly uh, just last week, speaking very serious and solemn words to them. Our next guest is Inez Harker-Schuch. She is worried that there is no cohesive narrative in the secondary education uh, that students receive, especially about climate change. She's a, a science uh, person, but uh, she's worried about the curriculum not having any cohesion. It is fragmented and doesn't give the impression that we can take action. Well, as we've heard, the students are ringing the alarm bells and they want to be better equipped to face the dangerous future. So Ines is from the University of Copenhagen, but is presently working on using digital tools for science education at ANU. And she will be the keynote speaker at a Science Week event for teachers in Canberra. So welcome, Ines. Hi, thanks so much for having me on. I'm so delighted to talk to you. What is this narrative about climate change and climate action that you want to see told by our curriculum? Well, I think the first real problem that we're having is that we lack any coherent, cohesive, long-term curriculum or pedagogical framework inside the school system. And this isn't just in Australia. It's actually a global problem, similar to climate change. We don't teach children when they need to understand. We don't prepare them for the, for the future ahead. We um, often teach it when it's too late in non-mandatory education, so in higher upper secondary, when we really should and need to be teaching it from when, the, when they actually enter the secondary school, teaching them about the science, removing all the other things that are about impacts and consequences, and teaching them the things they need to know to solve the problem and to deal with it in a resilient way. Well, teachers listening might be interested in testing out your computer game. Uh, it's called CO2 Peration. Um, tell us about that and how to contact you, how they can contact you if they like the sound of it. Okay. Um, yeah, well, the game was designed with um, this curriculum framework in mind. So it teaches about all aspects of climate science and then it progresses as time goes by and also expects that students who play the game actually take part. They actually take action to do something about climate change, which is an essential integral part of any action that we have with climate change and any curriculum framework that we have. Um, they can find it. They can look for us on, on Facebook, so it's CO2 Peration, as you said, um, and they can certainly send me an email, um, either through the Australian National University 
all via the University of Copenhagen. And we're looking for testers right now. So if there's any secondary teachers out there who would like to have our game in the school, then they should give me a call. So where does it fit in? It's, is it just one game or is it a game no. that goes throughout the years of education? That's a great question. So we, the game is designed to start in secondary because this is when the um, brain of the adolescent undergoes the second critical phase of intellectual development, um, which means they start to process complex things and they start to understand complex things. And frequently we introduce climate science or climate change education at a point in, in adolescence when the student has already made up their mind and they don't really have any of the knowledge they need to make an informed decision. So their opinions are often missing essential information. So we start at early, early adolescence, so around the age of 12, and we, our game is for all ages of secondary school with a big focus, of course, um, between the ages of 12 and 16 when secondary mandatory education is um, part of the curriculum. Okay. Can you tell me a bit more about it to make me sort of imagine what it's like and make the listeners see what, what, what's in the game? Sure. So it's, um, the first part of the game is designed for 12-year-olds. Um, they're a photon, and they're a photon that um, is ejected from the core of our sun, and it plays such a big role in climate, um, climate change on our planet. And, the pl- and this photon sees Earth, and it sees that it has a watery surface, and it asks them, it goes on a journey to find out why we have uniquely water on our surface and why we have the three different phases of water, which is a solid, liquid, and gas, which is unique, and as far as we know, um, in, our, in our solar system, um, and the conditions, of course, for life. In the later games, the, um, in secondary school, the, um, the students um, terraform a planet. They get a lump of rock in space. They have to create a certain diameter, which is called the potato radius, um, that um, creates a sphere. And then they have to terraform it. They have to find out all the things that have to happen to that planet to make it livable and to give it liquid water at its surface as well. I, I, I find that word terraforming very sinister because there are books in the <laughs> library about let's terraform Mars and it always sounds to me like why are people interesting in, interested in this? Is it because they've given up on this planet? That's what I think. It's when I really, think. It, it is really, I mean, we're not trying to, we're not trying to, um, students and, and young people are interested in, in games and rather than put this kind of information in books or lectures or make it boring for them, we're trying to hear what they, how they like to learn you know, avenues of communication which are important for them. And gaming is one of them. And terraforming, even though it sounds, you know, on, ominous, it really is just a fun way for, for kids to learn. And it is, of course, just an adventure. But it's a learning adventure which is really important to them. Well, I think the um, we've been hearing from students today and um, 14, 15-year-old people, they're much more exercised by the political system that's sort of yes. not giving us. We've had a so-called climate election. A lot of them said they were very gutted and devastated by that react that end result, which they were so sure would, you know, come out differently. <laughs> well, you know, when you're a bit older, you see that this is exactly the name of the game, but it is, does seem to be getting worse. You know, the democracy, the citizen participation does seem to be more and more problematic and it's more dangerous. For example, the people who are locking onto the machinery up in the Galilee Basin, you know, they're getting huge fines and it's very nasty. So I think the youth mobilisation is very humbling for us adults and it's a very significant moment in history that they're doing that. And we heard at the top of the program how the uh, Melbourne City councillors were really moved by the children and, and stealing themselves to be quite brave against all the stupid media commentary, the scornful media commentary that can make your life miserable. Um, and 
um, I'd want to know how can teachers not waste children's time at school? Almost some teachers seem to almost pretend that ch- climate change is something that'll just go away. I, I know teachers who are like that. They just say, "Oh, I'm, it's too political. I'm not going to deal with it." And they they're, they're not. Well, if you're a science teacher, um, and I'm not sure that that climate change necessarily belongs in the science classroom, as as one of you know, as Kai said, you know, he's he's doing art projects, and this is a great way to um, to communicate climate change. Um, but I think if you're a science teacher and you've got any any, if you're communicating that climate change is not happening, then you really shouldn't be teaching science. I mean, the science is well and truly in. We're really solid, um, you know. And when we get new new information, we of course revise our our understanding of climate science and all the evidence to date, which is you know going into terabytes, um, is is says the same thing. Um, when it comes to other teachers in the classroom. Um, I think it is part of of the duty of care for for teachers today to actually prepare the students for for what we're going to be facing in the very short future. I mean, it's it's only a less than a, about a decade away, and we're already experiencing some of the worst impacts of climate change. So, of course, the duty of care is on them to actually do something about that. And I've been working for more than a decade inside the the school system. And of course, teaching students and trying to get students involved. So I kind of see it as well from the from the perspective of the teacher. It isn't always student-driven, um, you know, mo- mo- movement. There are also amazing teachers out there who have changed the lives of their of their communities and their students, who are making change. And that change is also very, very important within. In, all of the, you know, echelons of society. Yes, I wonder, do teachers get together on this? I know in Australia we've got, like, Teachers for Refugees, for example, it's a lobby group. But do we have, like, Teachers for Climate Action? Are there teacher professional groups that get together and discuss the best way to get this more consistent? Funny, As you said, it's very fragmented in the school. Well, it's funny you should say that because I'm at a meeting right now and I've just stepped out with four brilliant teachers who are working in all aspects of this with environmental education in Australia. And so they do get together. <laughs> They're having a meeting without me right now. So, yeah, that, that definitely is happening. And there is a lot of care. And they're driving a lot of change, even though they're not the directors of the schools. They're driving a lot of change inside the schools. And it's worth looking those things up and finding what you can join, what you could be a part of. You know, rather than kind of reinventing the wheel to to get involved in projects. Well, that's right. I was wondering, from your international experience, um, I I just had um, a paper, a very brilliant paper, I thought, from the Education International Conference recently in Thailand, and the keynote speaker there said, Colleagues, schools must be places for learning about the power and privilege that a handful of humans are given to perpetuate climate injustice and stifle opposition. So that's your, you know, your political kind of question. And I thought that seemed far too radical for most of the teachers I know, but maybe it is time to let climate change out of science and geography and start to allow a free discussion of how the emissions are cooking the planet and what are the solutions. Do you think that teachers will soon put an emergency declaration on themselves to get some materials out about this? I think they've been doing that for years. I think the really teachers have been taking care of that and been doing a lot in that, in that area already. And, of course... Students rise up when there's, when there's a void of somebody inside the school doing it, and you notice students. Um, and it's amazing because I've, of course, waited more than a decade to, to have this come to the, to, the, to the public fore, and now it is. And, the, I mean, of course, Greta Thunberg, she was the only person who really could because she's youth, because she's a teenager. 
Um, do teachers need to um, be more vocal? And as a group, yes. Yes, they do. But they also need to be inspired. And that inspiration has to also um, come from the community itself. It, the onus isn't on teachers. It's not on students. It's on everyone. Mm. That's right. All right. Well, look, thank you very much for talking to us. I hope we can get back to you another time with perhaps some of those other people you're meeting with today because it sounds yeah, like very interesting. Yeah, it's a real to meet all of you, both <laughs> them and you. Yes, that would be good to have it on air, though, wouldn't it? Yes, well, it would. Thank you very much for your input, and uh, I hope your conference goes well. Um, we've been talking to Inez Harker-Schuch, who is from the, the Copenhagen University, but presently in Canberra. So thank you, Inez. Um, now, we're just going to have another little uh, tiny morsel of Greta Thunberg talking about the media uh, flack she's been getting. And I think this is another thing that schools and adults in general have got to help the children sort of um, bear what is happening and be brave because this is what happens. Greta? We become the bad guys who have to tell people these uncomfortable things because no one else wants to or dares to. And just for quoting and acting on these numbers, these scientific facts, we receive unimaginable amounts of hate and threats. We are being mocked and lied about by elected officials, members of parliaments, business leaders, journalists. What I really would like to ask all of those who question our so-called opinions or think that we are extreme... Do you have a different budget for at least a reasonable chance of staying below the 1.5 degrees of warming limit? I'm speaking to a science teacher now. His name is Tarun Wan. He will be coordinating teachers at a Canberra event this week. It's called Educators Join the Dots on Our Earth System. And I think it's about getting more climate science into the curriculum. So welcome, Tarun. How are you? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Oh, that's good. Look, how are teachers responding now to the students striking for climate action? Um, like, in my experience, um, it's been quite a supportive one. Um, however, working in, like, a government directorate um, of education uh, in a public school, the department's perspective has to be quite neutral. So although individual teachers, I think, support student advocacy um, and agency in addressing kind of the climate system, uh, being able to directly promote that has been somewhat challenging. Okay. Well, among my teacher friends, there's quite a few that are very reticent about this uh, call to go on strike on the 20th of of September. How are teachers uh, around you feeling about it? Are they talking about it? Yeah, they have. Like, I think in a lot of cases, it's individual teachers within individual school contexts. I'm not familiar um, across the ACT jurisdiction um, whether or not there'll be school-based supported action. Um, But I do definitely know of individual teachers that are looking to support some students um, to be able to have their voice heard. Okay. Well, we have talked to a few students tonight and over the last months I have talked to a few and they're calling for teachers to join them and also to change the curriculum or to boost the curriculum and bring more relevant information and space to talk, I think, is what they want. Yeah, there's a lot of really important work to be done in that sphere, most definitely. The students have said they want to see climate action in all subjects like economics, history, geography and media studies, as well as science. And I wonder, is it possible to introduce climate perspectives in a sort of emergency fashion across the curriculum? I know it always takes ages to change the curriculum, so is there some way to do that? 
Yeah, there is quite an involved process I like with any like large structural change, uh, particularly given that the curriculum is a national document, um, the Australian National Curriculum, but it's implemented differently in different jurisdictions. Um, the Science Educators Association, which I'm part of, um, has partnered with the Australian Association for the Environmental Educators um, of the ACT branch um, to do just that, to, to come together as a group of professionals um, and uh, working in close partnership with academia um, including Will Stephan and others at the Stockholm Resilience Centre to try to develop some sustainability resources um, across the curriculum. Yeah, well, I wonder if even among science teachers there's a bit of a reticence because one of my friends who's an English teacher she says, oh, in my staff room, the science teacher hadn't even read the IPCC report, recent one, and didn't want to. And I thought, oh, <laughs> that seems, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, like, uh, like, Science teachers are a diverse group, I suppose, that we, we come at it from different perspectives. I, I was a geologist or a geoscientist um, in my previous life before coming into education. Um, so it's definitely like my jazz and my comfort zone um, addressing the Earth system, but it's not everybody's. Um, I love the IPCC report personally, but and I, I give it to all of my students um, and try to pull out key key bits and pieces out of it. But it is a, even the synthesis report is pretty daunting at like, I don't know, 168 pages or whatever it is. So yeah. I appreciate that some people uh, may not have ingested all of it. Well, are you sort of workshopping teachers in that? There's kind of two angles to it. Um, the first of our current workshop um, that's going to be delivered this Thursday is where we have a PhD candidate um, to come in and talk about her experience um, and her research into earth system science and the climate science and the difference between those two missed opportunities to be able to discuss um, sustainable custodianship of the Earth system and particularly the Holocene, um, the part of the Earth um, history in which we're accustomed to, to have custody of that into the future. Mm. And so so the first bit, I suppose, is a, a provocation about what we've missed out historically in doing, joining the dots, so to speak. And then the second half of the event will look towards empowering teachers um, within their current practice and with, within their current work domains and units of work um, to be able to forge those sustainable links because the science curriculum is established in a science understanding component, a science inquiry skills, um, the kind of perspectives and mindsets and uh, approaches to science. And then the third kind of um, tranche of the science curriculum, I suppose, is the science of the human endeavor, uh, which is fundamentally the, the interaction between science and society. So I think sustainability fits incredibly well in that regard in order to promote students to have higher order thinking, critical problem-based um, approaches to their learning. So rather than try to kind of add on a thing or to, to yeah. encourage teachers to do more, what we're looking to do is to try to show them the opportunities that already exist within what they're currently doing in order to promote um, and accelerate kind of earth systems-based um, understanding and advocacy. Well, that, that sounds good. And you just said advocacy because my next question was, because I'm interested in the media, how the media have done this. And uh, recently in the uh, Australian, um, somebody called Greta Thunberg, a pigtailed soothsayer, um, he said, um, uh, no teenager is more freakishly influential and this deeply disturbed messiah of the global warming movement, yeah. <laughs> teaching the global warming faith. You know, I think, well, people have to be, I've spoken to students, and they say, oh, we just laugh at that. But I, I would be reduced to tears if I was scorned in that way. And I think that science communications, people are going to have to fight back in this coming generation 
And I've met scientists also who say they're not accustomed to communications and doing all this media. They thought they were going to be working in a nice, quiet lab somewhere. And yeah, they have to yeah. have to be all confident and on the front foot. And so I think that component, you know, the advocacy and communications is probably a valuable thing that other other parts of the school can actually help you with. Yeah, most definitely. And that that's where I think the real benefit towards um, developing some overarching... Um, model in which to address sustainability um, as a like a human kind of perspective and paradigm that we can approach our planetary system with um, from an educational point as well as an individual point I think is really really important so um, building on the body of work of um, Will Steffen and others at the like um, there was a nature paper in 2009 talking about planetary boundaries and things that looks at the kind of safe operating procedure, I suppose, um, or the working conditions or the limits um, of the Earth system and how just far we are from those in many yeah. different domains. And it is an incredibly integrated problem, like thinking about the Earth system in a singular sense um, and not about isolated Earth systems, I think, is the first approach. And then when we are in English or in humanities, science, mathematics, whatever it might be, um, those are all tools in which we're trying to teach the one individual. We're not teaching seven different fragmented versions of a student. Um, So how do we empower them to be able to make the the impact on the world um, that they want to have and how do we guide them to be able to make a a positive, proactive, um, socially conscious and environmentally conscious impact? Yeah, I think one way would be for the schools not to stand in the way. Another school student I met, said that she was at a Catholic school where they said if you appear in, you know, you'll be expelled if you appear in public with, um, like in a rally or a strike with your school uniform. So, um, yeah, no, I <laughs> appreciate that. Get um, out of the way, I think, some of the teachers. Yeah, so I think, like, it does um, fall really nicely within, like, in terms of the protest movement and about um, civics and citizenship and various other things about communicating with influence. Um, I think it's definitely, I, like, I can appreciate... Um, some um, head, heads in mm. education to be yeah. somewhat reticent of this kind of publicity and exposure. Yeah. But I think that if it was taken as an educative experience, um, I, I personally um, would have liked to have seen that occur more yeah. broadly. Well, just one last question, Tarun. You said you're a digital technology expert yep. or that's your field. So look, I've just read about a French think tank called The Shift Project and they found that online video has a big carbon footprint. Well, I'd never heard the word zettabyte before, yeah. <laughs> but they're worried that um, like binging on Netflix and so on could soon add up to 8% of global greenhouse gases. And I wonder, will the technology teachers soon have to become Luddites? Yeah, like it, it's a very... Sorry to have to cut Tarun off there. His answer was quite exciting, but I'll leave you with the thought of what was it? Zettabytes, listeners, and we're, Andy's giving me the sign. We have to finish up, and I want to thank everybody and um, you know finish the program up properly. But that was Tarun One uh, from the Caroline Chisholm School in Canberra, and thank you for him because he's part of that same conference in Canberra about science education and getting climate change and climate action more into the syllabus. So. Um, we have a few things that are on and I'd like to just tell you the names of the things in case you've got a pen and paper handy and you might like to go. If you can get up to Queensland, I know that's not easy, but if you are retired, maybe you can. Grey Power Climate Protectors, they, they sound like they're all retired, Grey Power. They're going to the front lines of the Adani coal mine 
<clears throat> until, as they say, this economically marginal project becomes a financial dead weight. So contact Grey Power Climate Protectors. They're going up fairly soon in August. If you need training on how to campaign, you can learn from Kate McChesney from the Sunrise and Momentum Movement. This is on in Melbourne, uh, 21st and 22nd of August, and you need to contact 350.org. The person there is Jackson at 350.org.au. And they there is a cost to that, but they also give scholarships. They don't want to leave anyone out if you'd really like to go and learn more skills about campaigning. We've been talking today about education and training, and this is the kind of training that a lot of us really need. And if you hurry tonight and you can get down to Melbourne University by 6.30, go to the uh, Beyond Zero Emissions discussion group. It's going to be on the Northern Territory and the absolute gigabytes of energy that can be exported from there and produced there without digging up all the gas. And the place is Melbourne University, the McCoy Building, Fritz Lowe Theatre, 6.30. It's in Elgin Street, just where the tram turns around. Um, I'd like to thank tonight our guests, Daisy Jeffrey, Jean Hinchcliffe and Cooper Forsyth, who are students in Sydney, Kai Bowie, who is an AYCC person in Geelong, Thanks to Inez Harker-Schuch from the University of Copenhagen and the teacher Taran Wan from Caroline Chisholm School in Canberra. Thanks to Mick Eight also for his technical help and a recommendation that you listen to his podcast on The Sustainable Hour from Geelong. He has also branched out into YouTube videos which will be a great help to teachers on sort of the how-to of sustainability. I hope you will tune in next Monday at 5pm for episode 2 of this program about mobilising for the September 20th strike for climate action. Next week we'll be interviewing unionists and I would like to give you a hint of the exciting lineup we've got. We have Colin Long is one person and there's also a woman crane driver. So I'm really very looking forward to hearing their, their thoughts on how to mobilise people for this climate strike. I'll leave you with the thoughts of something nicer, Children's Day in Kiribati. Today is their youth day and they have a parade followed by sports such as soccer, boxing, basketball and traditional sports or dancing and singing from the 33 islands. Later on it is a youth beauty pageant that is much adored by everyone. Thank you to Andy tonight on panel. My name is Vivian Langford. We will go out with some Oh, we won't go out with George Monbiot, so I'll just say good night and good luck. Thank you.